1: Welcome to the latest episode of Big Squid. My name is Justin Hamilton. And in today's episode, Siobhan Coombs returns to help me discuss Chapter 3 of the Watchmen graphic novel. Uh, It's a really fun chat. It's an interesting chat. I'm just going to give a little warning up front uh, that we do talk about uh, the rape of uh, Sally Jupiter in the uh, comic. So just putting it out there... I know that you've read the comic, and I know that you're watching the TV series, so it's not like you're afraid of mature topics, but I'd just like to put it out there in case, you know, maybe it's just not the time of day for you to have a listen, you might want to have a more of an idea of what we're talking about later on when it suits you. So just putting that out there now, but uh, much of the conversation around it is very interesting and uh, and a lot of fun as well. Siobhan's very funny too, so uh, please uh, enjoy that. Uh, I, I wanted to say hello to uh, lots of people before we get stuck into the podcast. There's people who are listening in Israel, there's Uh, people in South Korea or the Republic of Korea, Uh, we've got people in Japan and France, so uh, wherever you are, uh, thank you very much for listening, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to me waffle on with my friends about uh, this comic and this great TV show. Uh, And also, uh, depending on where you are, uh, uh, write to us on the Facebook page, Big Squid with Justin Hamilton, Uh, love to hear from you and we've got Lots of really interesting people over there having a chat. There, there's a private chat page. Anyone can join. It's only private, so you can speak without having the fear of spoilers. Or if you if you're coming to the show a little bit late, you know you don't you don't want things in your face and ruining the experience for you. So anyone can join. Just ask, jump in. There's some great people there. They're, they're throwing all sorts of ideas around. Uh, our good friend Ben Elwood was listening to the last podcast. He pointed out that uh, I mentioned uh, the uh, Dr. Oz possibly referring to Ozymandias, but of course he pointed out it's a reference to the TV shock doc, which sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Uh, uh, ben called him a, a quack, but I, I quite like shock doc, uh, who also... Um, signed off on Trump's medical records. So, uh, of course, that's who it was in hindsight. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, I uh, heard from uh, Milas Andrews on our Facebook page. He put up a a fun screen grab of which of the costumed heroes were there at the funeral in their normal police garb. Uh, David Thompson, he put up his own little squid bit. I love it. Everyone can do it. If you've got a squid bit, throw it in. Uh, He pointed out uh, the song Pirate Jenny that Nina Simone uh, once covered, uh, where it has the line, there's a ship, the black freighter, with a skull on its masthead, will be coming in. Uh, That actually originally comes from uh, the song The Three Peony Opera by Kurt Weill, with lyrics by Bertolt Brecht. Uh, It is... uh, a, a song that is probably the second most famous song uh, f- from the opera, uh, Mac the Knife, also comes from that. Uh, I had—I I don't know if we had actually talked about that, but uh, I, I had forgotten. And so, uh, go and have a listen to that song, and go and check that out. Pirate Jenny is one of those characters. I hope we get a little bit more of. I she, she's starting to become the Boba Fett of the HBO series for me. We don't see much of her. She doesn't say much but I'm always thinking what's going on with her and why can't we see more of her. Uh Andrew Patrick on our on the Facebook page had the theory that Mr. Phillips is a clone of John Osterman. I like that a lot. Uh, uh I think Lindelof has said that they're organic beings. It's like he's uh shying away from the word clones. Could could both of them be uh John Osterman uh, as a man and woman is it the DNA that's being used. Uh, if you listen to the official HBO podcast, uh, which is definitely worthwhile listening to, uh, Lindelof sort of suggests that maybe Adrian Veidt isn't the one who has made them. So, maybe that does mean that, uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan is, is making human versions of himself. Is that a possibility? Uh... I'd like to do a shout out to uh, Liz who was wrapped uh, that uh, I reminded her in the previous uh, podcast about those message boards where people used to write uh, weird fanfic sex stories about Australian comedians back in the day. I have a feeling that Alexi didn't react enough to that. I feel like if someone threw that in my direction i would have run with that for ages but in his defense he had to go and do some uh do some uh, family stuff so i might have to bring that up again and say do are there any more questions that you want to ask me not that i have any extra questions that i really want to answer but uh, anyway it was just funny because I'd forgotten that I'd mentioned that, and Liz uh, seemed pretty wrapped that I had uh, had brought that up. Uh, J. Daniel Cook and Chris Cash, they have a nice thing going on the page as well, uh, wondering if maybe uh, Judd's wife is the owner of that costume. Uh, I, I think when you read PD-pedia, it uh, it really feels like maybe it's his father's, and he keeps it there as a weird uh, symbol of what not to be. That's possibly where I was going, but I I really did like the idea that it was his wife's. That's a... I hadn't uh, thought of that at all. And in a a TV series that, uh, you know, we're often talking about uh, how important race is to the story, it's also very much a story about underestimating women. So have I underestimated Crawford's wife? Mmm, I like it. I'm going to be chewing on that one for a while. Uh, Over at my uh, uh, official website, uh, justinhamilton.com.au, I've written a piece on Laurie and how I think uh, the TV series is repositioning her character arc in the graphic novel. I won't tell you what I say in the blog now because I want you to read it. And I don't know if you'll agree but I'll be curious to know uh, what you think about that. Uh, Okay, well, that gets us uh, through all of that stuff. Remember, uh, please join the conversation. We're up for big ideas. We're up for big hypothesis and and, uh, we're really happy to have you join us wherever you are. Uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Siobhan is great and, you know, like, uh, I'm really wrapped that she can uh, join us, considering she has uh, very young children, and when I say children, one is a baby, and she uh, finds the time to be able to step in when she can. So it's great to have her back. Uh, I'll pop back at the end of the podcast very briefly to wrap it up and uh, let you know about some gigs that are coming up. Uh, but until then, let's get stuck into Chapter 3 of the Watchmen graphic novel. So I know that you haven't had a, an opportunity to see the TV series yet, but uh, I've been a bit fascinated by some of the criticisms that I've seen from, from you know, your average punter, but also from some established comic book artists uh, without naming any names. Because I quite like these artists, even if I disagree with them. And sometimes, if you say these things, someone, you know, I feel like everyone someone who listens. Them. Yeah, I, I feel like everyone who listens to this podcast is pretty cool. But just in case, there's one person who goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna really let that arsehole <laughs> know what it means." It's like, i oh, it's just, just their opinion. But anyway, the thing that I found uh, a little bit fascinating is this complaint that the TV series is woke. And yeah. do do you find that a bit bizarre when you think about? the politics of Alan Moore and you think about this graphic novel and then suddenly the TV shows too woke.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I think uh, sorry, I think that's got um I think that's got a lot to do with like uh, we were talking and last time I was on yeah. um about some of like like uh, some of the fans of Watchmen, some of the reception of Watchmen and what that kind of did to the comic book industry. Yeah. It's very interesting the way some people choose to read this. Yes. And this idea that like Rorschach is a hero. Right. And like uh, the, the way that it comes across to me is, like, it's this very sincere sort of criticism of authoritarianism and right. written by a guy who, you know, is an anarchist who worships a snake god. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I, I like, definitely I think people come into something like Watchmen, like, ah, oh, yeah, this is going to be really, like, it's really extreme, it's superheroes, but it's for grown-ups because they fuck and they fight and they yeah. don't give a shit or whatever. Right. Um, and then it's, like, this incredibly sort of thoughtful... Look at the the sort of idea of superheroes and what a um, what a private police force could or should or shouldn't be.
1: Right, and it's 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 meant to be set in the real world and kind of you know. Once again, I think people underestimate how funny it is as well and yeah. the absurdity yeah. of it and the and the world building from that. And, and I found the uh, the first episode. We're recording this just after the first episode of the TV show. You know, I I've, like some of it is really funny. Like, it Mm. doesn't go out of its way to say, here's a joke. But, you know, the cops have to wear masks to protect their identity because of uh, an event that happened years before. And some of the cops, most of the cops have just got these yellow masks pulled up to their eyes. Mm. And some of the uh, cops have really gone out of their way to make some great suits. And then there's just one dude who's cut the top of a panda mascot (laughs) and he's wearing it. and (laughs) And he looks like he's one of the guys who has the most power in the police force. But that's funny. That's very funny, right? I enjoy that. That's a good joke. Yeah, and so to say, th- it's it's interesting, isn't it? That it, we we do live in very uh, extreme times, and uh, you know, people seem to uh, lack that ability to, or or even desire to talk about the grey in the world, and they, mm. everything's right or wrong, or ones and zeros, you know, extreme yeah. left, extreme right, and I I, I do find what's going on with race in america to be equal parts fascinating and horrifying yeah. and so if you're going to do watchmen and then this is the decision that you're going to uh, explore that level of uh, of of danger in the, in the world and, and in that part of the world like it just it just made sense to me like it felt like a really logical step and then to have these people sort of claim it's too woke i i feel like they're I didn't even really feel like the so-called good guys were really that good, mm. and and the bad guys, like some of the bad guys, you know, they were kind of right about some of their theories, as in, you know, the idea that the giant squid was a government conspiracy. Yeah, it's not quite correct, but they're in the general ballpark. Yeah, they're not not wrong. Yes, right. Mm. So yeah, so it's a it's a it's a funny uh, criticism. And, uh, you know, as we're going back over this graphic novel, it's like, this is, like, this is this is very left-leaning.
2: Very. Extremely. Yeah. Extremely so. But I guess it depends very much how you read it. If you read it, like, yeah, Rorschach has really got it right. They are all whores and murderers. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> then you're like, yep, he's finally getting it done, just saying what we're all thinking. Oh. Um, but if you read it like a normal person, not normal <laughs> person, sorry, um, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 really fascinating. It's uh, it, I, I can completely understand where someone like uh, Alan Moore has decided. You know, he, he must think, "Oh, what have I done?"
2: Yeah, absolutely, all uh, the time, the poor man.
1: Yeah, although I
2: think he's, I think he's busy with his own. He's fine. No nonsense <laughs> oh yeah he's doing
1: he's doing his own thing, but uh, anyway I, I can't wait for you to see the TV series so yeah can, i am uh, I am
2: actually excited to check it out
1: it, uh, for, for everyone listening it's uh, <laughs> it was really funny talking to you giving you broad strokes about what I thought of the first episode without giving you any detail.
2: <laughs> Cuz it's quite it's quite different. It's quite removed from the comic, right? Like yes. it's not following the the story exactly.
1: No, it's uh you know, it's set in the future uh past the graphic novel. Everything that oh. happened in the graphic novel happened. Ah, oh, Okay. Yeah, and it's that but none nothing that happens in the graphic novel is going to happen in the series.
2: Right. Did you ever read, have you read many of the comics that are like supplementary to Watchmen? So they did this series called Before Watchmen. Right. That was like, there were a couple of different series and then they did, um, there's currently Doomsday Clock. Right. That DC are putting out. Have you read any of those?
1: So you will appreciate this because uh, what I'm about to tell you, the subtext is I'm a hypocrite. Yes, please. So <laughs> when they did started doing Before Watchmen, I was like, ah, no just, way. I just didn't have any interest. Mm. Uh, it just didn't really, uh, you know, e- even the creative teams, there wasn't really anyone. Darwin on... Cook. Yeah. Darwin Cook did one. Yeah. You're that mad. That, <laughs> I have to be honest, that was the one that I nearly yeah. picked up. Uh, so I didn't really have any interest. And at that point I felt, you know, for, for people who haven't read the graphic novel, uh, and Dave Gibbons uh, signed over the rights. You know, they made it for DC and yeah. it, the deal was once it, went out of publication then they would get the rights back and of course it's never it's never gone, gone out of publication right and it, it's and DC, dc are notorious for doing terrible deals with them um, oh all the creators. way all the way back to superman yep right so and and then there's you know there's interesting uh, arguments with that where people support Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons on that uh, stand on on one side but then people like Peter David who is a respected mm. uh, comic writer and author who says they've got the dream gig. Like, they created something mm. that is never going out of publication. And then I'd never really thought about that before. And when yeah, Peter David true. wrote that, I was like,
2: oh, plenty, yeah. Plenty of Peter David stuff goes out of print all the time.
1: <laughs> all the time, yeah, right. So, uh, so anyway, so uh, before Watchmen came out and I was – I'd seen the movie. I thought the movie was, you know, uh, it was uh, – Sincere cover.
2: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely.
1: Very sincere.
2: And very well cast.
1: And very well cast. And But kind of missed the point on some things. So then that, uh, before Watchmen came out, I was like, nah, I'm I'm not supporting that. But then I have to be honest, I was so curious about Doomsday Clock and the integration into the Watchmen characters into the DC universe. I kind of, I I picked that up Mm. because I was... I just couldn't get my head around how it worked. It's
2: very strange. It's I don't strange. think it's been a successful attempt, personally. Um, and you, I don't think it necessarily stands on its own as a comic either. It it looks great. Gary it, Frank's a very talented oh artist. Oh, my God. But, Gary um, Frank's
1: artwork is probably the best part of it. Easily. Jeff Jeff Johns is a really interesting author in that I've read quite a bit of his stuff. And there's some of it that I've really liked and then there's stuff that i never think he writes anything that's bad but i've gotten to the end of stuff and thought i can't even really remember what i just read
2: yes i i like uh jeff johns is like what the person who you know got me into superhero comics his teen titans run and his jsa run yes which is great which i love yeah um but uh, he, I mean, he's he's not Alan Moore. And I don't right. mean that in an offensive way, just no. like he, he's a completely different writer. Like, he's yeah. Richard Donner's sort of protege. Yeah. Um, is that the guy? The yeah. Superman director? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so he's 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 too wholesome to write something like Watchmen, I oh, think.
1: That is a perfect description. He is yeah. too wholesome.
2: Like, his JSA run is all about, like, family yes. and legacy. Yes. And, like, embracing the superheroes in a way that Alan Moore is, like, determined to, like crush right and rip apart flash yeah exactly exactly
1: he's uh you know there's there's comic book writers over the years that i think are really talented and really good at what they do and uh Marv Wolfman yep Roger Stern yep you know uh,
2: I nearly cried meeting Marv Wolfman when I was a teenager and, oh like, really f- fully embarrassed myself <laughs> oh
1: that's how old <laughs> he was you? very
2: overwhelmed um, I must have been about 15 yeah that's and I was cute. just like I just Nightwing just means a lot to me and Teen Titans <laughs> is really important I I'm was just crying like a little goth at, at
1: supernova. over uh, <laughs> embarrassing oh that's alright that's yeah, cute he, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you know like, a, like if you said it was last year I'd go yeah exactly. oh, you're a mum uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, but yeah, Jeff Johns is too wholesome. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, you could look at uh, Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol and say that's all about family, but mm. that's also you know, that's got so many levels and yeah, so many. Uh, you know, Morrison's got a lot more edge kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, uh, uh, see. So anyway, so I've gotten uh, I've I've been following Doomsday Clock because I just am fascinated. Same. I feel I'm like still reading it. don't don't you wonder what it would have been like if it just hadn't had the Watchmen characters in it? Well, yeah, because I don't mind the idea of for anyone who hasn't read the comic, uh, Doctor Manhattan comes into the DC universe and starts affecting it, and he he keeps seeing uh, Superman's origin, uh, mm. uh, and he sees it in the thirties and he sees it in the fifties, and he keeps seeing it kind of play out in different eras. Yeah. I, I like there's good ideas in it.
2: Yeah, and you know like that's kind of a Jeff Johns thing. Like I think one of the most like my favorite DC event comic yes. is um Infinite Crisis. Right. Which is the one that he did. Yep. Um following on from his Teen Titans run. And I think I mostly just have nostalgia towards it. But yeah. he's good at kind of uh trying to get cuz if you don't read superhero comics, Every so often, things get too unwieldy. There's too many alternate universes. There's too many characters. And they need to pare it back. And so they do a big event where they kill off most of the characters. And then you start again. Yeah. Um, This happens, like, every... I mean, it happens almost every year now, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, it used it was, to be every five or ten years. Like,
1: Just like technology is exponentially, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> like it was like we had the mobile phone and then suddenly it was like, you know, everything's yeah. getting smaller. That's what happened with events, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. Here's an event, and then, you know, seven years later, it's another event, then five, and, yep. then, and then, oh, hang on, now's time, we We're have another We're up event. to Civil War three, Yeah. You know?
2: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I think, I think the... The problem is that they're trying to do that with a Watchmen book. So, they're trying to be right. like, all these things that you guys have hated about the DC Universe over right. the last couple of years since the New 52. Yeah. That was all because of Dr. Manhattan. Right. And now we're going to fix it. Yeah. And so, trying to sort of, trying to tell a story to kind of link all that stuff together is hard anyway. Yes. And then trying to do something that you think is like a spiritual, like, um, you know, uh follow on from Watchmen, one of the most important graphic novels of all time is quite uh, I mean that's a big task right. to do anyway and then to have it be all involved in the sort of minute details of the DC universe I think it's become quite boring Yeah. But I but I would like, I would read anything that Gary Frank draws.
1: Oh my god. Yeah, it the is artwork so is unbelievable.
2: Yeah. And Jeff Jones does have some interesting things like he, he I think jeff johns is really obsessed with that concept of like the individual and like what the individual like if, if there was a superman the thing that's interesting about superman is the fact that he chooses to do good right and alan moore's kind of looking at all these other characters who are like what would they choose to do if they had the power and dr manhattan becomes this like totally removed right kind of character and is he doing good is he or is he just doing is he just doing him
1: is he just doing <laughs> him yeah uh did you i i did like uh the multiversity one-off with Grant Morrison and Frank quietly, where they did their riff on Watchmen. Yeah, but they used the original Charlton yeah, heroes yeah, 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 yeah. as Alan Moore wanted to do for this uh, graphic novel. Until DC said, uh, uh, "Sorry, Absolutely not. what are you going to do to Blue Beetle?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who's Dick? No, yeah. no, we can't have that. No, no. <laughs> uh, but uh, but once again, like I feel like I feel like you could have done Doomsday Clock and used the Charlton heroes. Yeah and told the same story and we could have all gone oh yeah you're doing a riff on watchmen
2: yeah but they want they want people who don't care about Weekly superhero comics to come in and buy it because it says Watchmen on the cover. Right. Yes. Cynical marketing ploy by DC Comics. Yeah.
1: And it's worked on me for 11 issues. I know. Issues. Same. Yeah, oh,
2: man. It's gone for years now. It's ridiculous.
1: Oh. Yeah, I know. I feel. So, anyway, so, you know, on the one hand, I draw a line in the sand and then, and then I find out they're making a Watchmen series and it's <laughs> Lindelof. On and then off the back of the leftovers, I, so, you know, I will. Watch oh, anything, yeah, you, you said know. that was amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've still not gotten around to it because I don't watch any TV. Oh, well, that's because you're smug. really busy raising yeah. children, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like when that's you true. have uh, lived a life like I have where you have uh, discarded the opportunity to connect <laughs> with anyone, you have a lot more time to uh, watch TV and uh, think about things. <laughs> it was like I was talking to a friend uh, about how I saw the new Tarantino film mm. and when it finished, I didn't quite know how I felt about it. And then I spent days thinking about it, and then I came to the conclusion that I really loved it, but Mm -hmm. I had to think my way through it. Mm. If I have children in a family, I don't have time to spend four days thinking about what what, what it means when Margot Robbie's playing Sharon Tate and she's in a cinema watching a film with the real Sharon Tate in it.
2: Oh, God, I do want to see that. It's
1: really great. But I spent four days on that.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, if you're a parent, you're like, thank you. Thank you for letting me watch this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then
1: you walk in. That's why you have a hot take because you yeah. walk in and you go, okay, uh, this is how I feel about it now. And oh, now I've got to clean that up. And oh, yeah. I've dropped this. And oh, I forgot to get food for this. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. So,
2: everyone's crying.
1: Everyone's crying. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah. So, once I knew the, uh, the, the team behind the new Watchmen series and uh, the – the uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross music is uh, phenomenal, and yep. they're releasing a lot three- of tones. Oh, a lot of tones! <laughs> like, like, are you sitting there and you're thinking, "What? Nothing's really happening in this scene for this moment," and I feel super anxious. Oh, the music! <laughs> uh, they're releasing a three album set. Oh, lovely! Off the back of it, and it's like, "Yep, great. All right." Once again, I'll be walking around my house by myself, just being just anxious, just anxious. <laughs> completely um all right well let's give a summary of uh chapter three of watchmen this uh issue was called the judge of all the earth before dr manhattan makes an appearance on television laurie argues with john complaining he's becoming more and more distant she storms out and goes to see dan instead at dan's apartment laurie vents about her relationship when the two go for a walk they're attacked by a not top gang. Unfortunately for the gang, the ex-heroes beat the hell out of them. Meanwhile on the talk show, a reporter accuses Dr. Manhattan of causing cancer and those people he's been in close proximity with. When the situation reaches boiling point, Dr. Manhattan teleports everyone in the studio outside. As the media rages with this story, Dr. Manhattan decides if he has caused this harm to people, it is time for him to leave Earth. He teleports to an abandoned building, takes a photo of a young man and woman at a carnival, then teleports to Mars. As soon as he disappears, Russia invades Afghanistan, knowing that America's only deterrent is now out of the picture. Nuclear war seems imminent, and this chapter closes with a quotation from Genesis chapter eighteen, verse twenty-five: "Shall not the Judge of all the earth do right?" Um, So this is the first issue where we're introduced to the comic within the comic, the Black Freighter, a pirate comic whose story echoes the adventure in the world of Watchmen. And uh, I'm really curious, were you a fan of this comic within the comic when you first read it?
2: No. Yeah. I think, like, most... I mean, I think probably I was too young to fully appreciate it, and I don't think I had, like, as much of an understanding of kind of comics as a whole. Right. Um, and I was like, what is this? Why Why are you making me read this bullshit? I don't yeah. know, like this. Is And also it's, like, horrifying. Like, it's really scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really scary comic Comic within the comic. Um, now I think I I have a, more of an appreciation for, like, what they were trying to um, – the style of comic that they were trying to imitate. And yes. That sort of, like, what kind of – that says about the comic – that they were making as well.
1: Right. You know I mean. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I, I have to admit, when I was a kid, it was like... Like, I liked the idea that because superheroes existed in this world, therefore...
2: Pirate comics became big. Pirate comics, right? <laughs>
1: and uh, I find that... Uh, like, that's an interesting thought process. Yeah. I wasn't quite across EC comics from the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I'm like you, as I got older and I kind of knew more about that style, then I could appreciate that a little bit mm. more. I enjoyed it. I. It's the most I've enjoyed it in the reread uh, yeah, that same. I had this year. Same. Yeah.
2: I'm interested as to whether the Comics Code Authority exists in the Watchmen world. Is that the nerdiest thing I've ever said? Oh, I loved um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um. But because like that's this, this is a this is a a gruesome comic that probably wouldn't have been published right. um, at least by any mainstream publisher in the sort of equivalent era yeah um so I maybe it's a maybe it's a world in which you know they didn't um
1: have that yeah. authority do do you want to explain for the people listening who might not have read uh, the graphic novel or don't quite know the comic book industry mm. uh, do you want to explain what the Comics Code Authority is? So, the Comics
2: Code Authority, it was um in... Where, where to begin? It was all sort of tied up with the... Um, uh,
1: McCarthyism? Uh, yes, McCarthyism. There we go. Yeah.
2: Um, and so, this guy wrote a book called The Seduction of the Innocent.
1: Frederick Wortham. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um,
2: and it was all about how comics were rotting the brains of the youth and there was all this, like, sort of... And, uh, and there was an era in which comics were quite violent and sexy and right. stuff like that. Um. And oh, yeah, like
1: the covers to those EC comics. It's yeah. like it's, uh, That's you some know... some really
2: horrifying shit.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a guy holding a woman's severed head. Yeah, you know, yeah. It was full on.
2: Really scary. Um, And the guy who uh, invented Mad Magazine, William M. Gaines, Bill Gaines, was um, the sort of primary uh, opposition to this. But basically it became a thing where any comic that was going to be published had to pass, had to be given the stamp of the Comic Code Authority. This has been approved for sale by the Comics Code Authority and it had fairly strict um, sort of rules. And I always think, like, countries that didn't have the Comics Code Authority, like in uh, in France and Italy and stuff like that, they have a really interesting, well-developed adult comic scene. Not adult in, like, sexy, but, like, just, you know, grown-up comics. Yeah. and I wonder if, like, maybe the sort of... I, th- I think the Comics Code Authority did kind of stifle a bit of creativity in Western comics, but also then it kind of made, you know, the underground comic scene happen. Right. Um, anyway, the Comics Code is now, like, just because people stopped adhering to it. Yeah. People just stopped uh, paying any attention to it, and it's finally been disbanded only in the last couple of years. only
1: Yeah, r- only recently, right? And mm. uh, it's fascinating. the uh, That book, The Seduction of the Innocent, uh, was that the first time that we had the implication that uh batman and robin were in a gay relationship like was that the first time that that had become a a like a like an idea and, and a and a and a cuz up, up until that moment it was just like superheroes had sidekicks because mm. essentially the sidekicks were the way little kids could See themselves. In see the themselves. Book. Yeah. Right. And then was that where that kind of started? Do you <laughs> I don't think?
2: know. I don't know. I probably. Yeah. Probably maybe.
1: And then uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it was like issues. There were issues of Spider Man. I think around ninety eight to hundred Amazing Spider Man, where they didn't use the uh, the comic codes authority because they talked about drugs on campus. Ah. I remember there was a, around that era. And then I think it was Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, where they stopped uh, sending it through and and stopped sending. Uh, mm. So it, that meant it couldn't be sold on the newsstands. Is that right? And then I have no idea, but I think so. Sounds
2: about right. I don't think you could sell that on newsstands.
1: Yeah, well, you know, like when you go back and you read uh, yeah. Alan Moore Swamp Thing with all that, uh, like Rick Veach and mm. Steve Bassett and John Toddleben artwork, it's yeah. like full on. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, as we were saying, I didn't really have the, the breadth of knowledge yeah. of those comics. So the the pirate stuff was, you know, it was kind of a little bit interesting uh, in that initial read. But this time through, I was like, oh, yeah, I see exactly what's going on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it really does add a lot. Yeah. And it kind of mirrors uh, Adrian Veet's story in yeah. many ways, doesn't it? Because yeah. it's uh, – so essentially it's a story about a uh, uh, – Uh, A sailor who's on a boat, who gets attacked by the black freighter and he's now that the black freighter is going to his hometown Mm. and he's trying to get there desperately before them to make, to warn everybody that these uh, terrible pirates Mm. are on their way, but he has to do so many terrible things to get there. Like lashing the bodies of yeah. the dead together to make a raft, and because they're
2: all bloated from the gas. Oh, yeah! So it's really, it's really grim and gory. Yeah, but I like it.
1: Oh, yeah! And Dave Gibbons' artwork again, and John Higgins' coloring. Mm. It, like it, uh, it's funny, isn't it? it? He, his artwork looks like Joe Orlando's artwork, yeah. and then Joe Orlando is mentioned uh in one of the ancillary pieces towards the end. Yeah, and it's like, ah, oh, so it, it, when when you read it. It really does feel like a completely different comic that appears in the comic. It's not, it doesn't look like the same artist, does it? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I think, I I think even the first time I read it, I assumed that someone else had done it.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like that, uh, that, uh, panel that you're looking at, Mm. the close up of the the sailor is, it looks completely different to any other character that turns up. Mm. Uh, what I do love about the, uh, pirate comic. Coming in is that this is our first introduction to uh, Bernard, the news vendor, yep. and Bernard, the African American teenage boy who's <laughs> reading the comic.
2: I didn't realize that they were both called Bernard. When yeah. did they say that? That's funny. I oh, like it's
1: that. right towards the uh, it's right towards the end when it looks like uh, World War Three is about yeah. to happen, and he it's suddenly this moment where they I think they both didn't realize each other's names. Um, How important are these characters to the story for you?
2: Um, I mean, I think I probably don't fully understand why they're so important. I sort of like the news vendor as the kind of man on the street, every man sort of.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
2: And I like their kind of weird, uneasy friendship. Yeah. Um, But I don't really, I I don't know if I fully understand what they're supposed to be uh, doing for the story. Do you know what I mean?
1: I think, uh, so this is, uh, tell me if you agree with this. My uh, view of it is we get, all these characters that are so we've got the we've got the a story, which is all the heroes dealing with the the conspiracy and all of that, and all of these B stories uh what they're setting us up for is an emotional impact for where chapter eleven goes mm. so when when Adrian Veet finally puts into play his uh his master plan where he teleports the giant squid into New York, killing people, rather, I think if we'd just seen. Half of New York killed. You mm. go, oh, that's full on. But because we've spent so long getting to know these characters on some yeah. level, like it's it's actually quite sad.
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah,
1: and I think yeah, there's that beautiful. Uh, uh, this will sound weird uh, for anyone who uh, hasn't uh, read the comic like we have, but the when at the end of chapter eleven, when it's about to happen and that flash is happening. And the two of them embrace, and I, I think you summed it up perfectly. Their uneasy friendship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when they embrace and they, they they make the the shape of the of the blood splotch yeah. is uh, it's like a really quite a poignant moment. So when you get to the opening horrific pages of uh, chapter twelve, and you see the the news vendor, you know, on top of the body of uh, the young african-american boy where he'd Mm. been kind of trying to protect him you i think uh, i think that's the difference between that to me is the difference between an apocalyptic story where you care and superman and zod destroying half of metropolis and you're like yeah what like what's happening to all these people who are these people (laughs) like look at all these people around yeah it's kind of um getting to Batman versus Superman, which I was not into. No. But I kind of I felt like the start, like the, I felt like they were in the right ballpark with the start with Bruce Wayne, having the, you know, going there and you kind of, they were kind of fleshing out that real people work there kind of thing. And I thought, yeah, like, Oh, this yeah, is yeah. going to be interesting. And then, you know, yeah. they've moved on.
2: I never even saw it.
1: Cause I was just like, meh, <laughs> not for me, not for me. <laughs> It's a perfect noise for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh but there uh yeah, once again I feel like um when I was a kid when I was reading this, it was like, Oh yeah, 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 this is all fine. Oh yeah, he's reading a pirate comic, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh let's get back to the superheroes. But, yeah,
2: let's get back to the superheroes.
1: But this time around Dude. I was really uh really into them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so when Laurie accuses John of knowing how everything in the world fits together except people I wonder if this is the moment that John begins to become interested in people again, because it's like, even though she's accusing him of uh, being distant, she kind of puts it together in scientific terms. And I wonder if uh, that's the beginning of him going, oh, hang on, people are interesting.
2: (laughs) But in a sort of like distant, like looking at them under a microscope kind of
1: way, like he's like,
2: oh, I'm not one of them anymore, but I'm interested in what they're doing.
1: Yeah. Interested
2: in what they're going to become.
1: Yes, which kind of uh, I feel like that's the the first seed that's sown for us to get to you know when Laurie and John debate whether people are worthwhile and mm. on, on the on the surface of Mars, which is such a great such a great chapter, you know, debating yeah. the fate of the of the world in such a position. And by the end of the uh, graphic novel, he's ac- actually looking at, uh, at at people and you almost feel like he he does have a sense of his humanity back again he's still distant he's mm. still removed but uh i rereading it i feel i feel like this scene was the moment where he uh really started to become reconnected with who he was mm. and uh, it, it's funny to read it in in uh to to reread it as a as a grown up because at the time when you first read it it's like oh god he is he is out of touch but yeah. maybe this is just when he starts to come back.
2: Yeah, when he's just sitting in the darkness, nude, just looking at her bra. Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Like, what? what is going on?
1: Um, this is a very funny question that I want to ask you with uh, your partner in mm-hmm. the room. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if uh, if Nate could make multiple versions of himself <laughs> and could do work at the same time?
2: <laughs> I mean, to be totally honest, as the parents of two small children, it sounds brilliant. Yeah. It sounds absolutely great. If I could have three or four Nates working full time <laughs> to do all the things that I needed, then that would, like, I really don't see the problem. I think that she massively overreacts.
1: Would that be okay, Nate? Agreed. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got Nate cooking, you got Nate keeping your company. You well, got let's two... not go crazy. I don't know if I want him to cook. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry to hear that, Nate. <laughs> um, the quote uh in this uh chapter is in relation to Abraham pleading with God to spare Sodom for the sake of 50 righteous people and uh as we know <laughs> Sodom cops it bad uh do, do you think this lends itself to a pessimistic view of the world is 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 this comic pessimistic or or is it just kind of uh just kind of a little bit realistic early on
2: yeah i mean like i think i think you could definitely read it as pessimistic but it does just seem like a bit honest, right? A bit straight down the middle, because there's like terrible things happen and terrible people exist in this, but there's also a sort of glimmer of goodness the whole way through, or something, right. or a righteousness, or or, a, or a, 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 a potential, or something. Yeah. Um. So it it is quite pessimistic, though. I mean, it's a bummer. It's a bit of a bummer to it, it, is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it does feel like a bit of a bummer in in, in some parts. I, I think you. I think it does get paid off towards the end. We've already talked about, uh, you know. In a weird way, Doctor Manhattan feels like he reconnects with what makes uh, humanity interesting. Yeah. Uh, Laurie and Dan are hope, in yeah. a way, aren't they?
2: They sort of find each other in this kind of horrific world that they've both been kind of born into, almost. Yeah. Or have chosen in some sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there is a there is a glimmer of hope in it, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite easy to at times just like put down uh, the graphic novel and think, oh God, all right. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, Keep listen. it light, Alan Yeah, let's listen to some Yacht Rock to sort this <laughs> out uh, <laughs> I thought we could do a, a deep dive on Silk Spectre uh, Her name is uh, Laurie Juzpachik. Uh yeah. God, it's so hard to It's so funny when you realise that you have read a name for decades and then you have to say it out loud for mm. the first time? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Hang on,
2: how do you say I would this? have no idea how to say that. <laughs> uh,
1: she is the second character to take on the name of Silk Spectre in this world uh, after her mother, Sally Jupiter. I love that as a name that you decide you're going to change your name from Spectre to Jupiter. Jupiter yeah, it's good. Uh, after her mum, Sally Jupiter, retired from crime fighting. Uh, it was originally supposed to be based on Nightshade, the Charlton hero. Interestingly... Uh, Alan Moore didn't find that character that interesting. So he sort of modelled her a little bit more on Phantom Lady. It's uh, a good costume. It's a good costume. Uh, a character from the 1940s who, uh, in my notes here, has a very skimpy outfit. Very. that Very. Uh, did, did you know it was explained away as a deliberate tactic to distract her ma- her mainly male foes?
2: I mean, that is <laughs> that is an excuse that has been used throughout time. You know, you know yeah. Power Girl? Yes. That's one of the, f- like, <laughs> oh the God. ways they've tried to explain that window away are just hysterical.
1: It's so funny. It's, you know, it, you, you almost just feel like, like you look at uh, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just wears a uniform. Yeah. Just give her a uniform. Just, just
2: let him wear pants and a jacket.
1: Yeah, it's, it's okay.
2: It's way more practical.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like, you, you know, just like with Power Girl, just, just cover up the oval.
2: Well, that's the thing. Is like it's genuinely a fine costume, and right. like I'm, I'm a big Power Girl fan, yep. genuinely, and I think that um, I don't even have a problem with the costume personally. No. But it's real easy. You just, you just cover it up. And there was this really hysterical. Jeff Johns did a Power Girl mini series, right? And it was like. The way he explained it was as this like big emotional moment where she's like, you know, I always thought that when I came to this planet, one day, like my cousin Superman, I would find a symbol too that represented me. So I left it blank. I left it open. Right. So that then one day I would be able to cover that hole. But I haven't found it yet. Boo-hoo-hoo. Oh, right. And you're like, that's so, that's a terrible explanation written by <laughs> a man who's never spoken to a woman ever.
1: <laughs> you know, just be better off, uh, just...
2: Just if she was like, "I got great tits," what what do you want?
1: Uh, well, that, <laughs> well, that feels like it would be, uh, especially in the current uh, climate. It's yeah. like It's you know, it's a, it's a little bit of uh, Beyonce power yeah, exactly. right there. Yeah, exactly. Check these out. Like they're 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 great. They're, Biff,
2: bam! Pow!
1: I, I'm I'm the woman of steel. I don't check this out. No bra. Don't exactly. even need a bra. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't have back problems. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, this is this is the joy of being raised by a single mum. <laughs> this is, might be sharing too much information, but any time uh, you know I'm talking to any of my uh, female friends yeah. about their breasts, and uh, you know, and they have you know large breasts, yeah. uh, I'm always like, so how's your back? Your
2: poor back.
1: Your back, absolutely. It's such it's a, a
2: gift f- and a curse, my friends. Yeah,
1: that is <laughs> always my first thought if I see really big breasts. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm always like, oh, you poor thing. That must be. <laughs> So painful sometimes, Uh, (laughs) especially when you you, like, and bra can be awful Ah, if you don't get really expensive ones. Absolutely. Anyway, female tax. God, I'm gonna. The the people who think Watchmen, the TV series, (laughs) is too woke are sitting there going, "Calm down, Hamilton." But uh, (laughs) these are these are true thoughts that get put into your head uh, through (laughs) being raised by a single Um, (laughs) mum. So uh, so, Silk Spectre was based on. a little bit more on Phantom Lady and also Black Canary, who debuted in 1947 as a hand-to-hand fighter and was uh, eventually given the power of her canary cry, mm-hmm. which sounds, it's, it's a bad name, isn't it? But it's so...
2: So much superhero stuff when you say it out loud, you're like, ah, oh, this is dumb, and I am a big dumb person for liking <laughs> this. <laughs> so true, isn't it? But I love it.
1: By the way, her power looks awesome in the comic. Like yeah, the way they so cool. Like the way they draw it as well. But, as but as when you...
2: you see an actress, it's kind of like, ah, you're like, oh, this is dumb. This is awful. <laughs> I'm so silly.
1: And I've, you know, and I have genuinely just said the words canary cry. Yeah, outland. exactly. Exactly. Uh, but what's interesting is uh, Black Canary is a mother-daughter yes. combo. Yes. That passes on.
2: And the concept of legacy is yeah. very strong in that um, that idea. And I think it's interesting the way they kind of do that. And also kind of almost the legacy of... Um, being Doctor Manhattan's girlfriend as well, yeah. The sort of way that we see those two older women contrasted, I think, is quite interesting. yeah. As also, it's refreshing to see older women in a comic book. Oh or yeah. in Any medium.
1: Yeah. Right. And and you know, with like a normal body shape, like yeah. she's not uh, you know, somehow kept her twenty nine yes. year old figure. <laughs> uh, and and do you, and how do you feel in in the current climate? Do how these characters uh, hold up? the Silk Spectre characters, do you still think they're uh, modern women or do you feel like uh, some of the stuff that he's talking about has been uh, passed a little bit? Well, I
2: think, I mean, I think Alan Moore is one of, like, as, you know, he had two, two, he was in an open relationship with two women Mm. for a while there, his wife and their girlfriend, and then I think maybe they went off together. Ah, yeah, I have heard that. But I think he has quite an honest understanding of women and Mm. like i i think this is quite a good portrayal of like the things that women have to go through and had Mm. to go through especially during these times um i i do think they sort of hold up i think uh, one thing that really struck me reading this was i'd forgotten that she was supposed to be 16 when she gets together with dr manhattan i'd forgotten
1: that as well isn't that horrific yeah kind of go like oh God, that's really grim. Yeah. Um, Why is Woody Allen making superhero <laughs> comics? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But
2: like, to anyone, anyone who wants to pretend that that never happened is like ridiculous. Like, yes, there was an Alan Moore a, a couple of years ago. A lot of people were complaining that Alan, there's too much rape in Alan Moore's work. Right. And it's it's definitely a present thing in yeah. a, a lot of his books. And I'm probably totally misquoting, but he said something along the lines of the the instances of consensual sex in my work far outweigh the instances of rape and also to pretend that sexual assault never happens would be doing a disservice to women who experience it daily do you know what i mean like why why we why would we pretend that it doesn't happen and i think that the way that he shows it in his work is always horrifying it's never glamorized it's never sexualized it's always really Distressing to yeah. read, you know.
1: Yeah, I, 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 that's a really good point. Actually, uh, he's right. The the consensual sex in his uh, comics is a lot more prevalent. Yeah, but the rape is uh, he he goes to it a lot, though. He
2: does. He does. Um, but it does happen to women a lot.
1: But it does happen to women a lot. So, so it's kind
2: of kind of complicated. <laughs> so can I
1: ask your opinion yeah. on uh, it, this? Was this was a part of the comic that I had to reread as? As, as a kid, and I had to ask my mum a lot of questions about because nice. it really, it was really confusing to me. Which is, uh, Sally Jupiter is raped by the comedian, yeah, but the implication is that she also, after that time, at certain points, had consensual sex with him, yeah. And I don't, I don't really feel that I know enough to be able to comment on that, but I, I, I wonder. Like that must happen, and I I I, f- I find that fascinating, and I, I wonder what your opinion on that is.
2: Yeah, I think that, um, like you know, the it's so it's so difficult, it's so difficult to say. Yeah. Um. But I think that of course I've, I think that's definitely happened. Right. I mean, I've I've read that specific thing happening in other comics, and uh, yeah. you know, it's definitely happened in books, and yeah, I. I I think, it's a, I think it's a totally possible thing, and I think it's a, a fairly almost normal thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it, it reads as really horrific, right. but you can totally understand from her perspective how she could do that.
1: And she still sort of has, you know... And she that has an
2: affection for him. Still she, has an affection for him. She misses him. She's upset when he died, and her daughter has a much more black and white, like, he did that to you. Right. How could he have done that? How right. could you have forgiven him? Yeah. And I think that that's very much... Um, maybe the way that we look at things in 2019, it's very black and white. It's very like, how could you have done that? Right. The power imbalance, blah blah blah, all those kinds of things, and that's that's true in a sense. Yeah. Um. But I, I think it's also true that you could have that happen and still see the person as a person and continue to have some kind of a relationship with them. Right. It's really interesting the way that he sort of explores sex throughout this comic. I think.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, there is. Uh, Uh, I found one of the most uh, confronting scenes in the TV series Mad Men is the character of Joan who is very much a woman who is in control of her sexuality Mm. and how she expresses herself and such a phenomenal performance by Christina Hendricks. Mm. And there is a a scene with her doctor husband who's handsome and, you know, meant to be perfect and then he rapes her in the... uh, in the office of mm. one of her bosses, oh. and it's it's awful. It's such yeah. an awful scene. But uh, as you said, like to, it's it's that stuff happens. Yeah,
2: it's it's the lived. It is the genuine lived experience of millions and millions of women. Yeah. and I think that by sort of saying that we can't tell those stories right. is doing a real disservice right. to women that it's happened to. Right. Like, I, I feel like Sally Jupiter Senior is a really fleshed out character who I right. have a lot of empathy for and a lot of sympathy for and a, yeah. a woman who's sort of gotten older and tried to force her daughter to be a little her and yeah. trying to stay relevant through that. I don't know. Like a, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for
1: her. And She's, she's a woman, you know, it's, it's all about control and she's a woman who Man. has been controlled Uh, you know, early in her career and then when she steps out and then she has the husband who is her manager and he controls her and then, even though she loves her daughter, in a way she's trying to control her daughter and then, and as you said, stay relevant through her and then she's, of course, you know, when she gets the, the, the magazine sent to her, the Tijuana yeah, Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the and daughter's so horrified. So horrified. But she that, that reminds her of when she had... When she was wanted. and Wanted and had a level of control mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that want. And she's one of my favourite characters. Mm. Uh, but uh, that was a... I have to be honest, that was a mind-blowing concept to me as a teenager yeah. because I had been taught that it is wrong of and course. it was black and white and that, that was the first time that I'd uh, been introduced to that.
2: Yeah, I remember the first time I read it, I felt like really I didn't understand her and I felt really like I blamed her. Right, Do you know what I mean? Like right. Um, and I couldn't see, I felt much more like her daughter, like I couldn't see how she could forgive someone for doing something like right. that. But I don't know, I guess you sort of, if you don't forgive, you just kind of move on. Right. And and life's complex.
1: Yeah,
2: people are complex.
1: And I'm finding it fascinating in the current uh, uh, world, you know, like we were saying that the TV show, there's there's some people sort of complaining that a white man is writing a series about race. Mm. And I think, and once again, this is a very complex topic to delve into. Mm. I think we definitely need to hear the voices of Minorities and more Absolutely. minorities, and we need to give uh, a lot more minorities opportunities mm. uh, in in all aspects of life. But you know, if you follow Damon Lindelof and his wife on on Instagram, they for years have been uh, you know marching against racism and mm. going to uh, events and and pushing you know these equal uh values, etc. So I don't think he's I don't think he's saying he has all the answers and I don't think he's saying that his voice is more relevant than say Tanahease Coates. Of course. But I think he is affected by it and this is what he's saying. And I think you should be allowed to still tell your story if yeah. as long as you're not saying this is how it is. It's like, yeah. this is what I'm witnessing and this is what I'm experiencing. Isn't that writing? Isn't that being creative, what you're yeah. experiencing and then putting out there? And
2: that's kind of all you can really do. You only have your perspective. Right. You
1: know? Right. And you and you do your best to widen it and broaden it. It's a tough... It's a tough question, man. <laughs> it's, it's a tough question. It's a tough question while you're... Uh, uh, on, a, on a warm Friday uh, yeah. morning while you're trying to look after kids. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got some squid bits for us yes, to uh, finish up. Uh, the cover, which is a close-up of smoke rising in front of a fallout shelter sign, the smoke obscures certain letters. So as you can see, it Mm. says all hell and the smoke makes the profile of a screaming skull.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah,
1: tricky, right? Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons, why are you so awesome? Uh, On page one, panel three you can see the cover to the new frontiersman and it has a picture of a man with the headline missing writer Castro to blame and we will find out what happened to that writer in issue 10 that's uh, Max Shea who ends up on the island I love it love it uh on page two panel seven you can see the souls of the young Bernard they have a massive V on them and uh Adrian Veet is all through this story, isn't he? Like oh, his products are everywhere. His perfume is everywhere. Yep. It's, it's so funny. You go, wow, that he really was. He might not be the smartest man in the world like he calls himself, but he is definitely the... The, the
2: savviest savvi- businessman. <laughs> like,
1: not quite as, uh, <laughs> as catchy a title for a superhero, <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh, no, here comes the savviest businessman in the world. Uh, He's going to oppress us. (laughs) He's definitely in ways we don't really understand. Uh, On page eight, panel five. uh, I love this nerdy stuff. By the way, there is so much more to this. I'm just picking out bits and pieces. Uh, Every
2: single panel is so dense. (laughs) So
1: dense. Page eight, panel five. Dan is out of sugar. Uh, He looks for the sugar. That's because Rorschach broke in and took it. You sort
2: of wonder why they make a big deal of it, him being out of sugar. But then you're like, ah, oh, it's all this kind of
1: intricate... Storytelling and world building uh, On page 11 panel 2 There's an advert for a movie called This Island Earth uh, This is a story about scientists being Dragged to another planet to help in a war Between two alien cultures It finishes with their alien helper Returning the scientists home But then perishing on Earth So I guess that's a, a mild foreshadowing Of mm. where the last chapter goes like, It's good fun uh, So much fun Um There are knots throughout the comic that tie into the Gordian knot, which uh, I'm going to cover more of that story with Richard Feidler when we talk about Alexander the Great in uh, the second to last chapter. But on page 15, panel three, you can see a knot in the microphone lead that the reporter is holding up. And when when asked what does that mean, it was like, ah, we were just putting knots everywhere, so we've just added a, a knot there. And that's cute as well. So.
2: the fun. <laughs> just, just amusing themselves, just having fun.
1: <laughs> so what does that mean about that uh, reporter?
2: Nothing. Literally nothing.
1: Literally nothing. It You've was looked just, into it too much. It was just too cute. Uh, page 20, panel four, you can see Dr. Manhattan's blue schlong. And uh, some commentators say that this might be the first time full frontal male nudity had been printed in a mainstream American comic. And it's cold.
2: God bless you, Alan Moore. <laughs> God bless you. Everything's going to be given better. us so much from
1: from 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 the blue wang to the bat wang in Batman. Damned,
2: we've come not very far at all.
1: No, not at all. I I know we've talked about this, but I'm still fascinated at how upset people were seeing a mild shadow of Bruce's so... flaccid penis. It's genius.
2: It's so weird. It's so weird. Like, did you assume he didn't have one? Right. Because it just not what you thought it would be. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they were like, no, that's that's far too small. But also... <laughs> I've always assumed it would be... I mean... Should have ears. Well... It <laughs> 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 well, exactly. Or just... Uh, I always assumed it's quite, quite small or weird. Right. Something weird about it. Right. Because he's, he's not right. Be muscular. Batman. Be muscular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He can, he's one of those, like... Um, free show people who can like pick stuff up with it.
1: Right. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I've seen the Jim Rose circus. Yeah, yes, I've seen what I'm So, think of. so you, <laughs> I'm I've always been fascinated with the you know, like the the different aspects of Bruce Wayne. So there's the real Bruce. Yeah. And then there's uh Batman Bat and then there's at, for for show Bruce. Yeah. And I'm fascinated with what what for show Bruce how far for show Bruce goes. I wonder if he can have sex as normal Bruce, but for show Bruce. So oh, I've got to pretend to be that Bruce, but normal <laughs> Bruce is like, oh, I just want to listen to classical music and eat a sandwich. Um, and in the final excerpt from Under the Hood, we get more story on hooded justice and Under the Hood, a uh, little, little mild Easter egg spoiler for you for when you see the TV series. Uh, the autobiography Under the Hood can be seen in the first episode of Watchmen on the Sheriff mm. Judd's desk, and we see Hood of Justice in the TV show that is parodying, parodying uh, uh, American horror story and stuff like that. So they have a American superhero story, and they yeah. Hood of Justice is like the main hero, but it's got comedian, and it's got the original Night Out, it's got the original Silk Spectre. We've only seen a grab of it on the TV.
2: Oh, cool. But
1: it's funny that Hood of Justice, who is... So minor in this, but in this uh, TV show, seems to be the... He's
2: the major hero. He's
1: the major hero. That's good. Damon Lindelof said they thought about having after-credit scenes to mimic the comic, and they nearly had the creator of the uh, American Horror Story shows, uh, Ryan Murphy, guest star, talking about American (laughs) superhero story, but they decided to go in a different direction. Um, There are... uh, if you go to the uh, Facebook page, I've I've linked a whole lot of stuff. There's a there there is ancillary material where oh, you fun. can. Uh, there's a, a an FBI agent and his reports. Oh, that you, fun! So uh, that's worthwhile checking out as well. Uh, so uh, that brings us to the end of uh, of, of this chapter. Uh, any other thoughts before we leave off on on this one? Anything that uh you that I've missed?
2: Not that I can think of it. It's such a it's a it's such a good issue, and it's such a dense issue. And it has so many of the images that I think are most iconic, right? But like, I mean, definitely the the um, surprise threesome, yes, in the beginning of the <laughs> issue. I think that's a really iconic scene, an iconic moment, yes. Um the the first scenes of him on the moon
1: on Mars, uh, Mars, sorry, yeah, on yeah, Mars. yeah.
2: You know, my my um, teen sister has a bunch of panels of that. Like, she doesn't give a fuck about comics, right? She does not could not care less right. but she has all these panels from those scenes cut out because they're such striking images oh and she really them up on her wall right I just, you're such a fake geek <laughs> <laughs> you're shaking your fist in defiance
1: <laughs> you're you're not really one of us <laughs> uh yeah that that last panel specifically yeah there's always such a dave gibbons just always draws t- it's so funny he's Dr. Manhattan doesn't have much in the way of features because he's a a big blue man, but he somehow, he can look terrifying and he can look like the saddest person you've ever seen.
2: absolutely. And it's so much to do with like the the panel layouts and the structure of everything and the the space that he gives the character. Um, It's really... Bo- really the, exceptional.
1: The, the way he positions the body. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Uh, is there anything uh, that you would like to plug? Is uh, Serious Issues back?
2: It is, it is. We just recorded an episode this week. Yeah. Um, so you can look up Serious Issues podcast, um, a, a comic book podcast, yep. wherever you get your podcasts from, and to hear me talking about all the things that I've read recently with my good buddy Levens. Um,
1: I'll put a link on uh, the Big Squid podcast. Uh, Facebook page oh, cool, for you. people so they can find it.
2: Um, and other than that, no, no, nothing to plug. But thank you.
1: Was there anything in particular that you've enjoyed reading recently?
2: You know, I've been I've been real lazy and I haven't been to the comic book store in a couple of weeks, so I haven't um, read any new stuff mm-hmm. um, recently. But I've been rereading a whole bunch of. Um, stuff that I own, which has been really good fun. I've been rereading a lot of Morrison oh. um, stuff. That was my maternity leave tree to myself. I reread Seven Soldiers of Victory. Oh. Um, I've been rereading a lot of Urasawa stuff. We were right. talking about how much you liked Pluto. Yeah. So I reread Master Keaton. Um, that was really good fun. And guys, go to, your, go to your local library because my local library has a really exceptional um, graphic novel section. Oh. I picked up a bunch of stuff there that I hadn't seen before. Right. Um, one uh, that was about. Uh, a guy's experience with epilepsy I'm just right what it's called it's called like Miss Aura right um, definitely track that down if you can uh, find a copy because it's really good
1: oh yeah that's great mm. yeah good plug <laughs> all right thank you very much and that brings us to the end of the latest Big Squid podcast once again a uh, Big thank you to Siobhan Coombs for joining us. Uh, she'll be coming back in a, a few more podcast time. Uh, next week, we will be recapping, of course, episode four of the HBO series. And then I'm really excited to drop this one on you. We have none other than Richard Feidler talking about chapter four of the graphic novel. Guess what? It's, it's really smart. Like, I was exhausted at the end of it. Do you know how hard it is to sit opposite Richard Fowler and, and, and hang on for dear life while he expounds all sorts of thoughts and and, and brilliant ideas? I had to had to go and have a little nap after I recorded it. But anyway, I can't wait for you to hear that episode. Uh, for anyone who is in Brisbane, uh, I will be up at the end of, uh, towards the end of November from the 21st, 22nd, 23rd performing at the paddo uh, at the sit down comedy club in paddington so uh, if you're around uh, please uh, come along I'll, I'll try to throw in as much nerdy stuff as possible though though it can be a little bit pubby that gig but you know <laughs> we'll see what we can do but uh, if you're around and you'd like to come and say hello please do uh, and then i'll be down in melbourne at uh, the end of november beginning of december And then we might do something a little special in Adelaide on the 20th of December. But I'll I'll let you know more about that when we get closer to those dates. Uh, What I'll do is, uh, over the weekend, so give me a bit of time here, I'll, I'll put up the dates and the places that I'm performing at my website so you can check it out. Uh speaking of the website there is a blog about Laurie Blake so if you would uh, like to have a little bit more of a uh, Watchmen taste please go over and check that out and let me know if you agree with my assessment of what the TV series is doing for the character. Uh if you enjoyed the podcast can you please rate us on whichever platforms you uh use to listen to us uh, a, a good review like if, if you're not enjoying it please just you know keep it to yourself. Uh, but a good review would be very much appreciated. And uh, just wrapped to have you listening, having a really good time with this uh, TV series. I had a, I had a lot of faith. I had a lot of faith it was going to be great. And it's even better than that. And that just makes me feel really good. I'll tell you what, it's a lot of work. But uh, look, let's be honest. I was going to be doing this anyway. So I may as well record what I'm doing, right? Thank you very much for joining us. We will speak again next week. And uh, until then, uh, look after yourself and uh, stay safe.